Well, I think there were, there were two things around it. The first is that uh, we are in a natural macro cycle of dry periods and wet periods in South Africa. And we have been overdue for a drought cycle for quite some time. Our last major drought was actually in 91-92. So we're 23 years on, so it's not unusual to be in a drought cycle. This is what happens in the South African environment every 15 to 20 years or so. Uh, the reason why it's more severe now uh, than we probably remember the last ones is because this drought is combined with a very difficult heat wave. So the impact is not only on the low water availability, but also needing to survive the heat wave. So a combination of those factors uh, is what's making us uh, um, organized to be in a very difficult situation in South Africa. Is this an environmental issue, a policy issue, or a combination of both? It is a combination of both. Um, there's no question about that. As part of the natural uh, environmental cycles, uh, we are overdue for a drought cycle. So while we might hopefully not get the full extent of an extended drought uh, in this current cycle, we, we must recognize that we're in five to seven years of a dry spell in this country. So we're going to have to be a lot tighter about what we do. There's also an environmental effect called the El Nino effect, and we currently are in year two of the El Nino effect, and one of the places that becomes warm and dry during El Nino is, in fact, uh, South Africa, and, in fact, a bit larger than ourselves. It's, it's sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, on the policy front, um, we know about these cycles, and it is possible to prepare for them. Uh, but the preparations for them require large investments in new infrastructure because we need better storage systems and new storage systems and better technologies like desalination to make more water available and reuse technologies, etc. And we are in an environment that is generally um, struggling to find capital to build things in a whole range of areas, including energy and uh, the education system and the social safety nets, etc. So we're all competing in an environment for resources. What does your research, sorry, what does your research tell you about who the hardest hit people are during drought? Uh, there, were, there were two answers to that question. The, the general answer, as with all uh, natural disasters, uh, the poorer folk are harder hit than the wealthier folk because they live close to the edge even during the good times. So their uh, resilience mechanisms and their safety nets are very limited. So exactly the same is happening right now. Uh, and, and this is expressed in many different sectors. So the poorer folk are the hardest hit. Sector-wise, um, the immediate impacts are in the agricultural domain. And with the agricultural domain having a negative impact, <clears throat> it's easy to see how it will have a knock-on effect on the rest of the economy. And to illustrate this a little bit more, we've done some work on resilience, and we find that in the South African agricultural environment, uh, the large-scale commercial agricultural folk uh, will have a longer lag phase on the impact of the, on the drought as opposed to the small-scale farmers who have to live from week to week because their storage mechanisms are more limited. Um, this is for both water and fodder, etc. 
their availability of finance to weather the storm of a lack of income for a while is much more limited. It, it is in that kind of domain. <clears throat> to what extent does government's water policy address uh, South Africa being a water-scarce country? Uh, it's a difficult question, and, and this is a, a, a raging international debate. Uh, South Africa has the right mechanics in place, but like most of the rest of the world, we do not charge the full price of water. And one of the net impacts of that is water is not valued as highly as it should be. Because uh, uh, if you look at we, we had a bilateral with Denmark, for example, uh, at the beginning of last week. And they went from 230 liters per person per day to 107 liters per person per day in, within a period of 10 years. We, we can't be around 230 liters per person a day ourselves. But in order to do so, Richard, they organized for their water pricing to go up to, they now pay 8 euro per kiloliter uh, in Denmark, which is, which is an enormous amount of money. So if you had to move towards the full price of water, that is the scale within which we'd have to move. Does, does government policy allow for the regulation of the price of water like, like we have with a price regulation with electricity, gas and petrol? Uh, government regulation at national level uh, governs the bulk water pricing. Uh, municipal level pricing is left to the discretion of the municipalities, and many municipalities in the country use very sophisticated systems to manage demand. So uh, the larger metros in particular have block tariffing systems, uh, which says that if you are in the range of using water efficiently at low-level use, you will price, price X. If you use much more than that, you bump up to price Y, and then eventually go into luxury pricing if you're using municipal water to fill your swimming pool, for example. So, so we do have those in place right now, uh, but I think it's fair to say that the, the pricing associated with uh, the tariffs is not near what it actually costs the system to produce the water. If this drought continues, can government do anything to stop people, for example, retailers profiting from selling water? Uh, that's not so easy to do. Uh, what is happening currently is that as part of its response strategy, national government has organized a whole section to actually provide those water tanker services itself without actually going out into, into the private sector precisely because of what you mentioned, that there's a great potential for exploitation of people. But you're only going to be able to do that to a limited extent. So if it goes on long enough, then the entrepreneurs uh, will fill that gap, and some of them will fill it irresponsibly. Would it even be practical and feasible to regulate the price of water? Uh, it is a good idea, uh, but it's not so easy to do because when a municipality sets its water tariffing, it doesn't set it in isolation. It sets it in relationship to its electricity prices, its waste uh, management prices, the rates, and all of the other things that need to happen in a municipality. So I think national government uh, does put out two things and should continue to do so. The first is it regulates 
the price of the bulk water. So it says that at least at the bulk water level, the raw water tariff, you shouldn't go below this level. So you should go above that. The second thing is national government and many agencies, including the Water Research Commission, continuously puts out new models that municipalities can use and use easily in order to organize for better pricing of water. What options do we have to get water flowing again to all places, given that we, we can't manufacture the resource? Uh, we, we have many options, actually, and, and some of them are in motion already. Uh, the first is that we need better storage mechanisms, more storage. So uh, we have a few large dams that have already been commissioned, including the biggest one, which is the second phase of the Lesotho Highlands project. That, that will have a big effect on the system. The second thing that we're already doing is investing quite heavily in desalination. So uh, we we're organizing particularly along the coast to be able to use seawater and desalinate seawater and make fresh water available in our coastal cities. And we're also engaging that very same option inland around our more salty groundwater resources and also acid mine water, because acid mine water is a huge resource of water. We simply need to clean it and polish it so that it can be used uh, for all of our purposes. But alongside that, uh, we also have a range of movements around water reuse technologies, and this eventually is going to organize for the sustainability of the system, because a, a drop of water should be used many more times than once before it returns back into the stream, and, and we have an ability to do that at laboratory scale. We need to ramp that up at a practical level. But maybe the biggest thing is around organizing for us to change our water behavior. You know, uh, the history of droughts, Richard, in South Africa is quite interesting. That after every major drought in this country, we have gone to a new level of water management and water security. And the same opportunities exist for this one. We must use this to reorganize the way we manage water, the way people manage water personally for themselves, and then perhaps moving forward, this drought would have served uh, the purpose of organizing for higher water security in South Africa. At what point will we have reached a crisis if we've not done so already? Look, at, at a national level, Richard, we're not in a crisis and we probably won't be. Uh, because we have an ability to manage this at a macro level. Uh, we've done it before, very regularly as a country, uh, and we will do it again. And in fact, we have uh, a science and technology base that says we're going to do better than we have done before. However, for those people currently that are sitting without water for a couple of days, or in some cases a couple of weeks, this is obviously a crisis for them in, in that particular vicinity, and there, there you require emergency measures to assist people. And this is not just about personal water use. Uh, we now have disaster areas in three provinces where we're needing to do the same kind of disaster relief work around agriculture.